there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Uh, super excited today to be talking to Drew Nicer. Drew Nicer is pretty much like the king of B2B marketing. I mean, he's one of these guys that's kind of, you know, hybrid strategist, uh, writer, you know, promoter. He's got a massive network of CMOs. He runs the number two, maybe even number one podcast for CMOs uh, at this point. But you know, very, very talented, very well networked, knows B2B cold. When Drew talks, I listen, and I'm excited to have you here today. Hey, Chris, thanks for those very kind comments. I don't know if any of them are true, but I'll try not to let you down. <laughs> well, one thing, uh, so Drew and I have known each other for some time, um, you know, in real life, not just podcasting life. But one thing that I just learned about you from your website, you actually were credited for the naming of the Tough Book, Panasonic's Tough Book which has probably done over a billion dollars in sales by now. Yeah, it has. And, uh, and, I, and I love that. And it's just one of those rare opportunities where they bring you a heavy notebook computer and say, hey, help us come up with a, a, a name for it. And it turned out that this magnesium casing was what made it strong. And, and, and we actually named it. And then they developed a product that was incredibly tough. So yeah. it, was a, it was just a, a, a wonderful a moment in one's career. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's get going. I want to talk B2B today. I'm, you know, probably, probably a good 30 or 40% of our business is B2B. So we know it well and it's, you know, evolving quickly, just like the rest of the space. Um, but I got, a, I got a question for you if you are ready. I am ready. Cool. So I want to know from your perspective, what are some of the top mistakes that you're currently seeing B2B marketers make, say like the top five or top three or however many mistakes and what they ought to be doing instead. I'm you got start it. The timer now. Okay. So the five biggest mistakes that we're seeing that B2B marketers are making. Number one is what we call the peanut butter effect. They're trying to do too much, too many targeted personas, too many channels, too many messages. And they think that this micro messaging is actually going to work, but Gartner research shows it's the opposite. You've got a buying committee. You send different messages to each one of those. You're 2.2 times less likely to get the sale. So, and our research shows that only 40% of CMOs can describe their brand in eight words or less. So, the trick to the peanut butter, fighting the peanut butter fact, simple story, tell it 18 different ways to customers, prospects, and, uh, and employees. Okay. Number two, the targets are backwards. Most marketers think prospects, then customers, then employees. We want to reverse that and say, employees are your number one target, customers are number two, and prospects are number three. Employees, if they don't buy a new brand story, you're dead in the water. But if they do, they're the greatest ambassadors that ever existed. Same with customers. If they don't buy the story, you're done. Why bother? So they, but on the other hand, they become your best 
advocate. So you know you got it right when your cust- your employees are really proud of the company they work for and your customers are uh, part of a community and feel like they're part of a community. Okay. Number three, rebranding without changing the product or service. And this one really drives me crazy that a new CMO comes in, say, hey, we need a new logo and a new uh, color and a new website and not they don't do anything. There's no material change to the product or service. And so all they're really doing is putting a coat of paint on an old barn. And then, so if they... They can change the promise, but if they don't change the service behind it and educate employees on how to deliver on this new promise, then they've not only put old paint, you know, paint on an old barn, but they didn't tell the farmer and the cows are getting covered in paint and it's all bad stuff. Great marketing is about, is not about fluff. It is about service and selling through service. Okay, number four, spending too much on MarTech. And this one drives me crazy. You talk, and you will know this. Too much tech, not enough staff, not enough marketing. There's a confusion out there. MarTech is not marketing. It's just tools. And Forrester estimated that they're spending, overspending $18 billion on this stuff. In the book, I talk about how to automate attentively, get that budget of on MarTech under 10% of what you're doing. And most importantly, only, you know, if you add a tool, think about what you can take off. Just, just don't keep adding tools. All right. And the fifth one, and this was a big one in March and April of 2020, which is retreating during a crisis. Many CMOs gave budget back, they furloughed staff, and now they're scrambling. Others recommend and recognize this was a crisis in a moment to shine. That takes courage. I know CMOs have contacted every one of their customers. A big thing that happened in this crisis, you could prove you were essential. If you prove that you were essential, you really stepped up. And one of the things that came out of the crisis for us was CMO huddles. We founded it during the pandemic because it was a way of helping our customers. It's now a business. That's what we mean by not retreating during a crisis. All right. Brilliant. That's what I got. Five well, tips. I love that. I love that. I mean, that's so much knowledge and wisdom all into one. Just to summarize what I got, peanut butter effect, doing too much, too much segmentation, trying to personalize too much, backwards targeting. Go. I've never heard that before. I like that though. Employees first, then customers, then prospects. Don't rebrand. You know, Don't just slap a coat of paint on a rebrand without changing the engine parts out. MarTech, everybody, you know, B2B and B2C alike are just kind of seduced by the latest and greatest in MarTech. And it's not a problem solver by itself. It's just a tool like anything else. And then keep spending, keep spending through a budget. We saw that, you know, the clients of ours that spent well, uh, you know, and continued spending gained market share and and the auctions were just cheap while everybody was pulling out. I love it. You know, I think that... um I mean, just going through some of your topics, like I love the peanut butter effect. I think half of the time personalization attempts just go wrong. You know, like you're like the targeting's not perfect, the data set's not perfect. You're trying to personalize. Um, and so most times when we engage with a new client, we look at their whole, you know, project and task queue and we're just like, why are you doing like let's just stop doing 80% of this stuff and just zoom into that 20% that works. But um but I'm interested in your in your concept of like tell the story briefly in 18 different ways. So like how would you how would you do that in real life? How would you operationalize right. that? Like you send sure. a different version of the story to the financial buyer versus the you know technical buyer or the user buyer? 
So the first part of this comes down to really understanding your brand and being able to create what we call this purpose-driven story statement. Eight words or less that encapsulates everything about your brand and allows you to tell the story. And so that's step, you know, once you have your purpose-driven story statement, then you can come up with six ways to make it real to employees, six ways to make it real to customers, and six ways to make it real for prospects. So one of our clients we've worked with for several years, their purpose-driven story statement is on the case. The company is called Case Paper. They have a punny personality. So this is even a pun bit built into it. But they created all these programs for their employees set on the case awards and, and recognition programs that were about that. For customers, they did the same thing. They created on the case awards and they made it about, they, they transferred that idea to their, um, their customers and said, you're on the case for your customers. And then for prospects, they were able to also say why this was good. And there's a, a component here that you don't see, which is brand personality. And, you know, this is where you, one of the ways to tie things together is, you know, like with archetypes, it happens that on the case had a history of comedy and, and funny storytelling. So we chose the Joker archetype for them and that became a unifier. So everything they do has this sort of dad humor thing to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it, it works for their brand. And, you know, most brands don't have the chutzpah to sort of be funny and take that chance. And so these guys have just found in an incredibly difficult marketplace, have found a way as a paper merchant to cut through. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest weaknesses in B2B is that people are, are for some reason, everyone wants to be boring in B2B. Like everyone wants to be real buttoned up and real just prim and proper. And I think a little bit of humor, a little bit of personality, like can really go a long way. Cause I mean, whether you're a procurement person or a CFO or whatever, you're still a person. You still like to have fun. Probably. It's so true. I mean, I, I, in the, in the book, I talk about sort of branding and and logos and Dave DC was working for this company called uh, trust arc and they put in their new logo, plus they changed some other things because the company was changing. They put a little dolphin fin in their, their mark. And then they started giving away dolphin plush dolls at trade shows. Then they thought it was going to be one. People love them. And it was silly. It's like if ever there was a case where it's a trade show and we're serious, it's like, no, we're people and we have kids and we do things. And so, yeah, boring to business is not what B2B should stand for. It really, uh, you know, it's got to be interesting. And there's so many ways of making it interesting if you're committed to it. 100%. So I'm interested because I think you and I come from fairly different worlds in that I'm a performance marketer, you know, by training, you know, so I'm all up in Google ads and LinkedIn ads. I'm buying, you know, clicks and trying to convert them. So everything's all about measurement for us. Um, I think you listened to Udi's episode where he was like, you know, measure. Yeah. But like, don't be so obsessive about it. And he told the story about their Super Bowl commercial and how they couldn't measure it, but it worked. Do you find your clients like, because a rebrand is something that, in my view, you can't just test it. You know, you can't put it in market quickly and see how it responds. Like, you got to go in all, go all in or go all out. And then measurement seems to be a hairy scenario. Like, do you hear a lot of CMOs calling for more measurement around the effectiveness of rebranding efforts? Or is it kind of just like, hey, let's go with it and anecdotally say, you know, it's working or not? 
So there's a couple of things in there. They, they might sound contradictory. Well, one is that the CMOs are famous in the C-suite as reporting on too many metrics. And so this is all about, you know, in the book, I talk about clearing away the clutter and radically simplifying. And that have, for metrics, that matters as well. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, you know, and I know that a click is useless. Yeah. Measuring a click is, is ridiculous. And even measuring, for example, you know, how many downloads did somebody do? Because if it was that one person who read that one document that closed the million dollar sale, you know, so attribution and all that is really, really difficult. And there's arts and you know it better than I do. But what we encourage is let's make sure that you do have brand health metrics in place. And in the book, I talk a lot about how you don't necessarily have to spend expense a lot of money on a brand tracking study, although that's a smart idea, but you have to have surrogate measures for brand health. You absolutely have to do it. And, and it's not that hard to do it, but if you think about it, a blended metric where you're looking at customer satisfaction, you're looking at employee satisfaction, and then you look at some kind of acquisition number and some awareness number, you can create this blended brand health number. And one of the things that we encourage all CMOs to do when they do their first round of research, whatever it is, is ask an aided and unaided question, uh, awareness question. You get that, benchmark it, because mm -hmm. then you're going to know. And, and, and you can at least see six months from now that you did move the needle on some of these more uh, intangible things like, like awareness, which we also know really matters. When was the last time you brought a product or service that you hadn't heard of? 100%. Yeah. yeah, and in in my world, we might use um, brand search volume. So we might look at you know how many people are searching for Panasonic Tough Book today versus six months from now versus a, a you know a year from now. And, and that's a great metric, and that's one of the ones that I think you could use in a brand health metric because yeah. you can look at that number as a percentage of say pick two other competitors right and look at that number. What's your share of that, and is it changing? And so if you see an incremental move from you're getting 20% of the searches to 30% of the searches, that's that's good stuff, yep. right? And you can include that in your brand health. And so part of this is just being, rather than looking at that metric alone and five other metrics alone, create a blended brand health metrics that includes something like that. And that's the one that you feature on your dashboard with your executive suite. 100%. And... Uh one thing that I'm noticing more and more is that, you know, especially some larger brands, they have their performance marketers, which are, you know, judged based on like cost per acquisition. And then they've got their brand marketers, which are more so in charge of like showing up in the right places, you know, like they'll find those communities of practice and buy media um, just to be there or they'll like, they'll run the event and the, you know, sponsorship stuff. And they're not so much held accountable on cost per acquisition, but just like being in the right place where your, where your brands are. Um, but I'm seeing some of the most savvy brands and those, those two kind of live in their own worlds. Usually like they're both right. in the LinkedIn account buying ads, yeah. but like you have your campaigns and they have their campaigns and you just like, and sometimes there's, there's very siloed and limited communication, but we're seeing an emergence. Uh, have you ever heard of performance branding? 
Yeah. I mean, there's lots of sort of, we'll call it euphemism because nobody wants to use the word brand with PCs and VC, PE and P, VC firms. So yeah. they have to come up with other terms, uh, right? Uh, but I think the point that you were making is really spot on. And this is where the problem begins when I talked about the peanut butter effect is you've got the demand marketers who are measured on one thing and you've got the brand marketers who are measured on another. That's ridiculous. There's one goal, which is you know, keep customers, increase lifetime value, right? And and attract customers. That's sort of if if we look at that, and I, you know, I'm skipping employees, but those have to be together on a uh, and and you can't have separate metrics for separate departments because otherwise they're working across purposes. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I kind of like this concept of performance branding because even if you added some degree of measurability, like if you you know, if you blended the overall cost per acquisition and you judged both of them accordingly, or you measured both of them accordingly, that'd be great. But even adding some additional layers of measurement, some additional layers of accountability, and just like, you know, efficiency and effectiveness metrics to the brand side of the house, I think could be really valuable in that, uh, in that executives would, could basically see some, you know, some tangible figures coming out of it. No, I I agree. I, I mean, I I think you have to have, uh, you know, this combination of a brand metric, and you obviously look. Every CMO needs to be able to say we're contributing to pipeline, and they need to know what that number is. And you could talk to a Jamie Gilpin at 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 Social uh, Sprout Social, and she'll tell you ninety percent is is marketing attributed, which is killer, right? And then you'll get to other brands where that number might be 15%. But whatever it is, that that is really important. They've got to be making a contribution to pipeline. My point though is if you're making a contribution to pipeline, brand is playing a role in that. Yeah. And the, and, and you see the here's where brand is going to play a role. It's going to be in the speed of close, right? It's going to be in the number of times you're included in an RFP. And so this is why just looking at CAC is problematic. Hundred percent, and I mean, right. brand plays a huge role. Like I'll tell you a B two C story real quick. Is um, we had like one of the nation's largest uh, window installation companies, and they were just going market to market, you know, expanding. Their home markets were East Coast based, and like we were buying, you know, Google ads for them, and basically, say, you know, for every dollar that we spent, like the general consensus is like buy your brand because it's the cheapest clicks and they're right. You know, that's the last thing you don't want your competitors to get a hold of those clicks. Right. So defend your brand is kind of rule number one. And those clicks are usually cheap because there's a lot of relevancy. Google can see that, you know, you are this company, you're not just some, you know, imposter. So in our home markets, you know, up to 50% of our spend would be this brand and the cost per conversion was like $15 or something, you know, but, and, but even the non-branded cost per conversions were like, say a hundred. But when we went into a brand new market, like say even a West Coast market where nobody had heard of them, the portion spent, the portion that you were able to spend on brand was minuscule and the cost per was way higher, like to the tune of double or triple because they didn't have the benefit. Like this company had been running radio and print and like all these things just banging it hard for 10 years here. And it was a very stark difference over there. And like we, yeah, I mean, kind of knew that, but we saw it so clearly then. And then, so what they did was they turned on some of that brand spend, and pretty quickly we saw, you know, branded search volume coming up as well as CP, 
you know, overall cost per acquisition coming down. Yeah. So there's absolutely an equation and absolutely an argument to be made. Um, and making that argument, I think, is important, but sometimes difficult, especially for performance marketers like us to just say, like, hey, let's buy some radio ads and, and hope it happens. You know? Well, and I, but this is part of the the thing that you know I would say to anybody listening to the show is twenty percent of your budget should be in experimentation, and what you just described was a wonderful experiment that is easily done. Right, you can take two markets and you can say we're going to run localized radio in one, and we're not going to run radio in the other, and we're going to look at our performance marketing, you know, aspects of it. And you know, I, I you, you, the story you told it reminds me of story that years ago, Travelocity was spending 70% of their dollars on search. And they got to the point where they couldn't spend another dollar effectively, right? Yeah. So then they flipped their budget and they spent $70, uh, 70% of their budget on television. And suddenly their search uh, improved so much that they could spend more on search, right? And they could spend, or they could spend so much more efficiently. So the correlation between, and this is the thing that everybody forgets is without awareness, there is no brand search. Yeah. Period. And and without awareness, you're going to be paying more for search. And that matters in B2B or B2C. It, it really doesn't. It, it's it's true for both. It's just, it's so funny because awareness doesn't hit home to a B2B CEO till he goes to his country club and he says where he works and they go, oh, I've never heard of that. Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> right. We need awareness, right? So anyway, there's a lot of ways to come to this realization, but really testing um, and testing to triumph, as, as, I, as I say in the book, is key. And people forget. Yeah. So uh, I wish we had more time, but I know Google surveys, like in the B2C space, you can do Google surveys that basically you know, is a very inexpensive way. You can get a thousand responses in any market. And it basically says, have you heard of this brand? Or like, which of these brands have you heard of? And your client will be listed among them, right? Yeah. Is Do you know of a B2B platform that does something like that? Yeah. The uh, Polefish, you can do that. Uh, we, we've done it for a couple of brands on Polefish. We work with another company called Propeller Insights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as cheap as Google Survey. And I believe actually SurveyMonkey also has a panel, uh, a B2B panel that you can uh, tap into. And that's the great thing is that there are these panels now that you can do this research. So there's almost no reason not to a do an employee survey, a customer survey, and you know an awareness survey. It just isn't. Yeah. No excuses, guys. There's a there's an interesting uh, platform that I found recently. Well, actually, it's my buddy Pep from Conversion XL uh, started, but it's called Winter W Y N T R. And I don't think it's like an awareness surveying platform, but it's more so just like really high quality panelists where you can like run your messaging past them, basically. Um, and it's not cheap, like on a per response basis, but the the quality of responses and like, you know, the titles and the individuals in there is like really high quality. But that's one way to potentially, you know, just kind of litmus test, you know, your eight word story for different, for different yeah. audiences. <laughs> And I really struggle with that. And I, I, it's funny because I talk about that in the book and my my personal struggle. Here's the reality of a of any kind of person a purpose driven story statement. It doesn't start to have meaning till you do all the things that we talked about. You know, the six things against employees, the six things against the customer. So a line in and of itself just sort of sits there. And and I there's a an example from my career. I wrote it's probably the best line I ever wrote for Family Circle. It's where family comes first. 
and it was on the spine of their magazine for 19 years. I mean, it was crazy that that was there, but it never became real in the sense that they didn't do the things that we said, you know, you ought to have a family first conference. You ought to have uh, own that on an annual basis with research. You ought to have a family first policy, right? All right. these things that you could do. And so my point is, it was great language and we might've gotten good feedback on it, but it never quite got to the place it could have because there was an execution. So the risk of, of exposing an idea like that is that, they're just reacting to the words, not the actions. So right. if you have to, if somebody insists that you do it, you do it. But you yep. know, in my mind, what you really are looking for is, if I have this on the case idea or where family comes first, can I come up with 18 ways to execute against it and then commit to doing that over a year to two-year period? Yep. I mean, that sounds a lot like basically don't just slap a coat of paint on it, like change out some of the parts. Is that what you meant by that? Like yeah. operationalize these six things, like start a conference. Like that's, is that what you meant by that? Or did you yeah. mean literally like a new product or service or change of the offer? It depends on the thing. So I'll give you an example. Um, so Aetna uh, came out with a, a line, which is uh, we don't serve uh you, you serve us, or something like that. Uh, we know we serve you, right? I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so, no, that, I got the wrong line wrong, but the, they spent six months retraining their employees on how to handle customer uh, uh, complaints and issues. So, for example, you call up and say, "Hey, I'm uh, going to have knee surgery." And so, normally, what the the person would say is, "Okay, you're approved to have that surgery." Yeah. But what they were trained to say is, oh, you know, people who usually have knee surgery need physical therapy. Would you like a list of therapists that our insurance covers? Mm. Big difference, right? Yep. That operationalized that. Another thing they tried to do was say, they made it a policy that we would they would know the customers. So they had to rechange their whole database configuration so that everybody on customer service could access everything that was needed so that when Drew called, they could say, oh, hey, Drew, how'd the surgery go? Right. So that's the ideal scenario. You have a new positioning, but it's so big that it forces you to change something in your operations or something in your product that makes it real. I love that. You know, like you just actually changed my perception of rebranding because, you know, as a performance guy, I'm always like, why are you guys going to spend half a million dollars, you know, to rebrand? Because I just considered it to be a coat of paint. But when you add in and operationalize things like you just described, then you actually kind of become a new company in a way. Exactly. Like, that's meaningful to me, even as a performance guy, you know? Yeah. And it gives you more to talk about as a performance guy. It gives you a, a, a more focus. And this is the thing is that branding, rebranding is a huge opportunity not to be wasted. And it happens so regularly as a, you know, lipstick on a pig and old barn paint when it could be something meaningful. And, and this is, and if you really have a purpose-driven story statement, there are going to be operational changes that are needed to be made because you're suddenly purpose-driven when you weren't before. So um, that's the that. idea. Marketing well, there you have can, it, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You no, know, last thing is I really believe marketers can make the world better. I really believe that. Um, and, and they can do that by bringing purpose to their organizations, but they got to make it real. I love it. We got to have another one about purpose, but there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Drew Nicer dropping 
knowledge and just literally changed my whole perception of branding <laughs> from like this frou-frou, useless aesthetic activity to like actually something meaningful and useful. So let's rebrand. <laughs> let's <laughs> Can you rebrand. rebrand. No, yeah, there you go. I know that you have a book. I'm excited to read it personally. I hope you'll send me a copy. Um, yes, but sir. if you if you'll make that, you know, a few copies available to our audience, uh, I'm sure that they would love it as well. We can include that in the bonus material. Uh, but yeah, Drew, why don't you go ahead and um, let people know where they can find you or how they can claim a copy of your book? Sure. You can find everything on renegade.com. We also have a microsite for the book, renegademarketing.com. And if you're a B2B CMO and you can care, share, and dare with the best of them, feel free to check out cmohuddles.com as well. Love it. Love it. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. If you like this, please like, subscribe, comment. We read every comment. We love your comments. Let us know what you liked, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more of, what topics you're interested in. I really appreciate you, Drew. I appreciate your time today, your partnership in general. Let's stay in touch. You Let got me know it. if there's anything I can do for you. Same for you. I love what you're doing with the show. And, and you know, it's been easy to work with you. Uh, I, you know, I mean, we we keep a vendor of a program going on CMO huddles and several CMOs are already working with you and they highly recommend you. So keep up the good work. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you and we'll be in touch. You got it. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 